between books. We finished our study of Romans last week, and uh, I'm going to have some break in, in teaching because of the missions trip and everything, yada, yada, yada. So this morning I was, or not this morning, this week I was contemplating on, okay, what will we, what will we discuss? What is it that we can examine this week, kind of in that in-between spot, and I thought, you know, I've got it. I didn't, well, you know, it's a long process, but I won't belabor or bore you guys with that whole conversation. But <clears throat> this time in between, we talk, uh, we've been talking in, in the past, I don't know, while, about this idea, this concept of working toward awakening. You know, how do we, and we've been talking in, in our men's time, I know, how, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we work? Where do we put our efforts when we are, we're talking about working toward awakening? This, this idea of awakening to the fullness of life that Jesus really offers. And <clears throat> I've been, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, many times I struggle, and I know you do too. As you're out in your days, and you're, you know, whether you're working on equipment or you're, you know, oh, we do lots of things. I'm not, we don't, I could go through, you know, all of our different daily routines. But as we're out doing our daily routines, sometimes it's difficult to sort of find how it is that I can be made more like Jesus in this context. How am I supposed to be more like Jesus in this setting? What would Jesus, you know, we, okay, the cliche, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus really do here in this situation? You know, just being honest, there's so many times, maybe you've been there before, there's so many times when I ask that question, and <laughs> I know what options are that I'm limited to, you know. Let's say I'm dealing with somebody at work, and I ask myself the question, ask God, you know, what would Jesus do? What would you do here? And what I think Jesus would probably do is not one of my options. You ever find yourself there? It's a difficult place that we can find ourselves in sometimes when we, the things that we think about Christ are maybe, maybe utterly incompatible. But maybe not. There's a, there's a passage that has been working on me. There's many. But there's one passage in specific that has been working on me for a long time. It's found in 1 John chapter 3. I want to read a couple verses there, and then we're going to kind of do some thinking and some looking around. I'm going to even have some illustrious uh, illustrations for you today, if James comes through, which he always does. So. In 1 John chapter 3, there's a passage here. I'm going to just going to plop in here, verses uh, 2 to 4 says this. John, first, I'm sorry, 1 John, not John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. That's company. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Sorry, I guess it's just verse 2. Verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So, we're God's children, 
But what we are going to become hasn't yet been revealed. But when Christ comes, when Christ is revealed, then we're going to be like him because we will see him as he is. And everybody that hopes this way, everyone who hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. There is a process that is at work with us that as we seek Christ, we're made to be like him. That is encouraging to me, yet such a challenge. Why is it such a challenge? Because I ask myself so often, I ask God more often, okay, who are you really then? We'll see him, if when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Well, how is he? That means it kind of alludes to the idea that we see him imperfectly now, right? Which I think we would all agree to. How do we see Jesus clearly so that we can be like Jesus clearly? Would it be safe to say, if I ask this question, would it be safe to say that probably we all operate on an incomplete or inaccurate image or idea of who Christ really is? That's the thing that keeps me up at night. This Christ that we chase, is it the real Christ? Or is it some other sort of facade that we have built that we think is Jesus? Could we go wrong? Where do we go to find a model of Jesus after which to fashion our lives? How do we find him so that we can see him and be like him? After all, the reason the world doesn't know him, the reason the world doesn't know us, is because it did not know him. We seek to know him, right? Where we go to get our answer is critical. It's critical. Where do we go to get our answer about where, who Jesus is so that we can be like him? Now, I know. I'm a smart guy. Anytime I need an answer, I know the place to go. Yeah. Aaron knows where I'm going with this. Every time, if I want to know how to do something or be something, for example, if I want to know how to become like a better cyclist or be more fit or, or, or you know, change something in my life, Google, right? Absolutely. Where we go for answers is critical. Now, listen, <clears throat> we joke, and we're going to look at some results, okay? But we live in popular culture we don't have a choice about that. Even the people that lived in Jesus' day, even before Jesus' day, all lived in popular culture. And that helped to shape what it is they were looking for in the Christ. It shapes what they're looking for in God. And it shapes what we are looking for in Christ and in God, whether we admit to it or not. We all have lived in popular culture and we are all influenced by it. Now, before I show you what some results from Google with a simple search of Jesus Christ, it's interesting to me also, this one thing that I'll get on and then get off of it, is that our culture is increasingly image-driven. Is it not? You know what I mean by that? In increasingly image-driven. We see things, we make interpretations, and we, honestly... Our imaginations get robbed. But the Lord, for his purposes and not by accident, came at a time 
when there were no photographs, there were no uh, video videos, there were no recordings, there was no audio recordings. Only record that we have is testimony of believers. It's strange, isn't it? If Christ would have come now, we would have video, we'd have audio, you know, we could get the tapes and everything, and listen to his exact words and his inflictions and how he said them, and we'd know what he looked like and how he lived his days because we could look at the context. He didn't come that, at that time. It's interesting. So what if we made him? James, image number one. You guys are familiar with this one, right? I got all these from a simple Google search, Jesus Christ. That's all I typed in, okay? We all know this one. This is, your, one, of, this is your, one of your classic Jesus pictures. How many of you grew up with this image, seeing it around? Maybe it's on a wall somewhere, you know, at grandma's house or in your house. I think we had one on the wall in our house. Let's go to the next one. This is the one, this is one, an artist's rendition based on the Shroud of Turin. If those of you know who that, you know what that is, and we won't get into that necessarily today. But another artist's rendition. Go ahead and go to the next. We get into the classical painters. All, you know, back in the sort of Middle Ages and the Renaissance time. Go to the next one. We have these images of Jesus kind of moving from that into the sort of iconography, you know, the icons. Things that men have created to kind of keep the idea of Jesus, you know, in front of people. Go ahead and go to the next. This is another classic painting, Doubting Thomas, putting his fingers in Jesus' side. People interpreting. This is an orthodox uh, icon of Jesus. Another pretty, you see that sacred heart there he's got to show how all that. Now we're getting into the good stuff, more, more modern painting. Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Here, oh, this, this, we're taking a turn here. This is a scientific, now, scientific rendering of Jesus based on his lineage, the time he was born and lived, and uh, his, his uh, you know, DNA track, whatever. This is what the scientists think he, Jesus probably looked like, which is always nice. Let's uh, keep going. Oh, the movies? Right? Uh, go to the next one. Jim Caviezel. Right? The Passion. Go ahead. Now, AI. Generated images. AI's even got an opinion of what Jesus looks like. Yeah, there you go. All the, the hev hosts of heaven and Jesus in his glory. And go ahead, go to the next one. There. Look at that. What do you think? What's the, what comes to mind? Zeus. Next one. There's another little glory image, whatever. Go to the next one. That's sort of like that's sort of like uh, post-apocalyptic sci-fi space Jesus right there. And we got the sort of the Knights Templar looking image here. Notice the bicep there. I like that. And okay, go to the next one. Influencer Jesus taking a selfie. Yeah, and, and some of you hopefully are feeling what I felt when I was, you know, copying these images to put in here. You can either get rid of that altogether or just get rid of that one. Go back to another one if you want. I don't care. I don't want, I don't want to look at that. But 
what I sort of got the feeling. This is interesting how this works. So as I'm doing this simple Google search and, <clears throat> and uh, looking just for images of what, you know, the, the spirit of the age says Jesus is, what he is. And coming across these, and as I'm grabbing uh, these images from different places, I just got a sick feeling. Any of you look at some of these and just be like, just, just kind of like, maybe not like a bad feeling, but just not right? Man, I was sort of like feeling weird about it as I was doing this this morning. Now, yeah, that's fine. You can leave it up there if you want. Uh, lots of things we can feel and uh, sense, you know. So sometimes images like these, maybe not these specific ones, but they're okay for inspiring something inside of us. You know, we might see like that, like a really well-done painting of Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, where he's, he's crying out to God and he's, he's uh, in turmoil. We identify with that, you know, or maybe you've seen the ones where Jesus is, you know, reaching in and pulling out Peter from the water, sinking. You know, you've seen some of these images. Sometimes they're really good for sort of helping us to have empathy and understanding certain situations and inspiring our faith in some ways, humanizing, you know, the context of it. They're not bad for devotion or keeping Jesus in our minds. But let's just be clear about something. They're never, ever supposed to be revered as holy, okay? This God, God's second of the Ten Commandments. Maybe you remember it. But in Exodus 20, verse 4 through 6, he, God says... You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. We're not, these images are not for us to revere as holy you know, they're just an artist's interpretation of what they think Jesus might have looked like. So if we're looking, as we seek who Jesus is, that we might be like him, if we're looking for an image or a picture, are we on the right track? No, we're already off base. We're already off base if we're just looking for an image to worship or to ascribe worth to or to shape ourselves or be like. Likewise, I'll just say it. If you're looking at a TV depiction or a movie depiction of Jesus to base your life or your ideas of Jesus or what it is, that's probably not a great place to go. That's just some artist's interpretation. I'm not saying we can't learn from them, okay? But that shouldn't be your focus. Okay, so, we're, okay, we've exhausted Google. We don't the Google's probably not the best place to go to learn about how to be like Jesus, right? From what we see. James, you get rid of that. It's distracting. It's not even that good of a painting. Some of you. Well, I grew up with that. I get it. I understand. Google's not a good place to go. So where should we go? Let's go to... How about this? How about this? The Christian bookstore, right? We can go there. Yeah, we can learn all sorts of stuff about who Jesus is and 
and or let's broaden the scope. Let's 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 broaden the scope just beyond the, the Christian bookstore. Let's broaden the scope to Christian culture. Okay. Now I talked about the cult, you know, the the uh, the spirit of our age or our popular culture, but there's a whole. You may not have known this. Yeah, you did. Did you know there's an entirely huge Christian culture that runs parallel and inside of our popular culture? You want you any idea what I'm talking about? All right. Here's what you do. Go into uh, wow. Go into a, a big church somewhere. You know, like one of those that like the leader of the pack type of church, big one. You ever notice? All the guys on stage got a certain look. Yeah? There's like one type of glasses you can wear, I think, if you're in, in like on church staff. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I hear somebody giggling. There's a certain pattern of speech that you're supposed to follow. If you pay attention, you'll see it. There's, I mean, yeah, certain style of dress, certain voice inflictions, certain even movements and gestures, uh, certain organizational structure that we can start to, you know, and people don't do it on purpose, I don't think, but it can sometimes, the, sometimes churchy stuff can even guide our thoughts about Christ and what it means to follow him more than Jesus himself. Being churchy, you know? Being around church people and acting like church people as opposed to, you know, the, the godless heathen population. We were even talking, I was briefly talked with James this morning, They're one of the, that new song that they introduced this morning. It's a good song, you know. It's got a lot of cool, solid things in it. But they wrote it in such a way to be fancy. Christian music always does that. And maybe I'm getting a little outside of the, I probably am getting outside of my, jurisdiction here, but Christian music is notoriously difficult to play because they have these hired staff musicians that practice five days a week, you know, and then do Sunday performances, and they want to always have weird time signatures and weird weird uh, key signatures and stuff because they're professional musicians, and that's all they have to do. And so Christian music is, in if you look at the industry at large, Christian music is very difficult to play. It's very complicated. It's not to say it's bad. It's just become something. Am I, am I, are you tracking? It's become something. We could look to Christian culture for Jesus. Would we find him? Who said that? We might. But we might not, right? might just find another social group to belong to. How about the scriptures? Would that be a good place to look for Jesus as he is? Now I'm going to get really controversial. Yeah, I just saw some of you perk up. Again, I don't want to, I don't want to get outside the scope here, but look at those who are in the scriptures those people who it was their job and sole focus that we have examples of in the Bible. I'm talking about, you know, the scribe, the priests, the scribes. These people, it was their sole job to study, to know about, 
to look for Messiah's coming. That was their whole goal. Right? They had the scriptures. Did they recognize him as Lord when they saw him face to face? They did not. They rejected him. And when they did see Jesus as he is, there were a few that did understand he was Messiah. And I'm not talking about the believers. I'm talking about those in power. When they saw that he was Messiah, he, they saw him as Messiah and as a threat. He threatened them. You, uh, the story of Herod, right? These magi are coming, and, G, and he learns through the, the prophecies, and he knows the Messiah is coming. He wants to find out where he's at. Why? He wants to kill him. Why? Why would Herod want to kill him? A new king was a threat to his kingdom, even if it was Messiah. For the priests and the scribes, he was a threat to their office. They knew exactly who he was, and he was a threat to them. A threat to their power and a threat to their authority. They had the scriptures. They knew what to look for, right? Even amongst Jesus' own disciples. Jesus, as he is, for all that he is, is elusive even for his very disciples. Now, when he's in human form, you know, like when Jesus just came and was with them and teaching and doing all these things, he was often treated as such, you know. It's hard to treat somebody that's walking side by side with you as, you know, God and creator of the universe. And we can't, we can't blame them for that. That was what they saw, you know. But he was often just simply that, just treated as such and sold short. But when he was in glorified form, as there were a few times when Jesus would reveal to his closest disciples something beyond, you know, a little beyond his human and human only form. And he was often still misunderstood. The, the story of the transfiguration in, in Matthew 17 is, is one such case. So Jesus takes some of his closest disciples. They go up on the mountain. And what happens is before them, he is transfigured. He's, he changes form from his normal, everyday uh, carpenter, you know, looking self. And he is revealed for who he really is. Son of God, he's bright, Look, he's powerful, he changes form in front of them. And if you read the account, you'll notice that the disciples uh, don't really know what to do. They misunderstand, I think, the, the whole goal of it. And they instantly offer to build some structures for Jesus and for, for the prophets that are there with them appearing. And it also notes in that scripture, in that passage, that they're terrified when they see Jesus as he really is. Because is Jesus in his purely human form all of who Jesus is? No, it's not. When he was revealed for all he was, for who he truly was, in all his glory, they were terrified. Terror. After the resurrection, after Jesus is crucified, he dies and is buried, and he raises again from the dead, there's several 
interactions that people have with him in, his, in this altered state again. You, you'll read in John chapter 20, Mary, goes, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, and she has this conversation with Jesus, and she doesn't even realize it's him. You recall? All of a sudden, she does realize, but at first when she saw him, she saw something different. Something that she didn't expect or that she didn't recognize, she didn't recognize him. Again, John chapter 21, a little bit further on after Jesus is, uh, is raised from the dead. You know this story, the, the guys, they, what else do we do? Jesus is gone, let's go fishing. That's what they were, they were fishermen. They're out on the, on the water, they see Jesus on the shore. You recall the story? Do they recognize that it's Jesus on the shore? They don't. This person they'd journeyed with for three years, they'd been through all this stuff with, he's appearing to them differently. Somehow, they don't recognize it's him. But it says later they knew it was him, but they couldn't recognize him. Which tells us that there's some, some deeper form of communication that's happening. That's our first clue, or not our first, but a clue. Again, on, on in Acts chapter 9, Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Saul's going to go hunt, hunt him some Christians. What happens? He's confronted with the great bright light. Jesus, glorified. Paul is struck blind and cries out to this person whom he, he would have known Jesus. Didn't recognize him. His question is, who are you, Lord? Who are you? I don't know. These are cherry-picked examples, obviously, but we find that the Lord Jesus offers us, I think, and I want to challenge you as I feel challenged, he offers us a truth by his life, he offers us a truth by his teaching, and all the accounts of, of him that we have. And I mean all of them. All the way from the Old Testament on and through the Old Covenant worship right on through the last counts, accounts of him during his time on earth. He is consistent in something that we almost never talk about. He will not be defined and dissected and systematized. In other words, Christ, God, will not be captured. Will not be captured, to use a cliche, he will not be put in a box. In the very beginning, when, not the very beginning, but when God was forming the covenants and teaching the Israelites how to worship, it's a very telling thing that he had them build the ark, the ark of the covenant, right? And on the top of the ark was a mercy seat, and there were two golden cherubim facing one another, and God said that he would meet them and talk to them in the empty space on the mercy seat. The empty space. When they asked for his name, you know what, he, what name he gave them? I will be what I will be. Some Bibles translate it, I am that I am, or, or I am. That's, that's what I am, you see it, means. I will be what I will be. <laughs> that would drive people today nuts, wouldn't it? What's your name? What name shall I call you by? 
hold on. I will be what I will be. How many people would be satisfied with that? God has always been like that. Christ also is like that. Over the ages, many, 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 many have tried to put God in a box and tried to systematize and try to define him. And they've tried to put his followers in a box with him. Whether that looks like religion, you know, in the bad sense, whether that looks like, uh, you know, try to codify the Christian life into just simply a set of rules. Jesus and what he offers is so much beyond that. Always has been, and that's what drove the leaders crazy. So then you ask, how then can we know him? Right? If the scriptures alone aren't enough, they weren't enough for the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, the, and all the people. Popular culture sure isn't going to tell us. Christian culture isn't even going to really tell us who Jesus is. How then can we know him? Well, what did Jesus say about it? If you look in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is teaching. As he teaches, this is the uh, Sermon on the Mount. This is when Jesus is essentially revealing to the people this new covenant, this new way of life that we're, that we're going to experience as his followers, this new, a new way, a new way. Part of that is he takes all the commandments and essentially raises them up to a superlative level to where even if we desire to kill our neighbor, it's the same as murder, right? On and on. But in chapter 7, Jesus says something interesting. And I... I don't know, it doesn't say this, but we can assume that people are having a little bit of a hard time grasping the fullness of what it was that Jesus was offering. And he says this to them in verse 7, chapter 7, verse 7, he says, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Can we know Jesus as he is? Yes. How do we know him? We ask. We must ask. We must ask him and mean it. See, our faith, our life as it should be or as it could be in Jesus, the fullness of life in Christ can never be found in just doing the proper church procedures, having the right worship services or the right things in your worship services. Can't, he can't be found that way. Our faith doesn't center around that. Our faith doesn't center our life with God as he hoped, as he made a way for it to be in its fullness, cannot be found in only understanding and knowing what it says in the Bible. 
academically. You can memorize it cover to cover and not be any closer to Jesus. That's true. Many of you have met people like that, right? They know the Bible. They know it. They can even quote it to you. I know we've talked about that, Tim. People that can quote the Bible that have no relationship with God. Our faith, true life, glorified life, as Jesus offers it and as he bought for us with his blood, is about communing with him. That's what it's about. Communing with him. Being one with him. It's not not good enough to follow an image or a culture to find Christ as he is, to know him, to be made like to him, to be made like him, we have to go to him. Is Christ alive? Are you unsure? Is Christ alive? Is he alive? Yes. Does he speak? Yes. We have to go to him. In order to know him, in order to be made like him, we have to go to him. Straight to the source. I'll finish with this. In Revelation chapter 3, we read uh, Christ's letters to the churches. Part of that chapter is letters to the churches. In, uh, starting in verse 14, Revelation chapter 3, you see the letter to the church at Laodicea. Let me just read this to you. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see me. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I think that in some degree, church, he says the same thing to us. We're rich. We don't need anything. We've become lukewarm. He offers us treasure 
and oneness and himself, and he's standing and knocking. In order to be like him, we must seek him. He says, be zealous, repent. What if? There's many times, I will be done after this, I promise. There's many times in the scriptures that Jesus appears and speaks with the apostles after his ascension. Happened several times with Paul where uh, he's doing things and all of a sudden in a dream, Jesus shows up and talks to him. Shares things about what to do. About what not to do. Makes himself known. Would you like that in your life? Faced with Jesus, would you see him as a threat? Maybe. This is the time to examine that and to seek God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are who you say you are. We thank you that you are alive and not dead. We thank you that you speak to your children. Lord, we confess that we have become complacent because we don't need much. We've uh, at times often settled for a version of you or an interpretation of you instead of seeking you. Forgive us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would teach our hearts zeal, that you would teach us how to seek you as you really are and that you would find us and speak to us that we would be like you not just be play play acting something we think might be right but lord actually having you in our lives molding us shaping us teaching us and making us like you i don't know what stands in the way today lord but you do so i ask that you'd speak to our hearts and that you would Enable us to follow you and only really you. In your name, amen.